0: One of my most prized possessions is this little Bible. It was my dad's. It was given to him by his pastor in 1979. Uh, It has a message written in it from that pastor. It has many notes uh, written all the way through it by my dad. This little Bible was part of their witness training. Uh, They were equipped and trained to use the Bible to lead people to faith in Jesus Christ. That was their focus. That was the mission they were on. This little Bible was part of that ministry, part of that training. In the back of that Bible, in my dad's handwriting, is a little saying. I'm not sure where he heard it. I'm not sure who said it. But it says this, written in his handwriting, in the back of that Bible. It says, Lost and didn't know it died and didn't expect it, went to hell and couldn't change it, lost and didn't know it, died and didn't expect it, went to hell and couldn't change it. Friends, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ demands an urgent response. It is good news, it is good news for all people, and it calls for urgent messengers and for an urgent response. Today in our study in the book of Acts, we are going to look at the life of the Roman governor of Judea, a man named Felix. In that and through that, we are going to be reminded this morning of the urgency of our gospel. The message today is entitled, The Urgent Good News, The Urgent Good news. Now, our verses today are found in Acts chapter 24. We're actually going to read the entire chapter, all of Acts chapter 24. I'm going to ask as we begin today, if you would stand with me and join me in a word of prayer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, we come and we are thankful for an anchor that holds today. We're thankful for your grace and your kindness shown to us as sinners. We're thankful for the forgiveness of our sins salvation and no work of our own but by faith in Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful that there will be a day that there will be the blast of a trumpet and the voice of an archangel and you will come for your people, for your church. And I praise you for that. I look forward to that. But I also know in the meantime that you have placed us and you have called us in your church. And Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to the calling, to the mission, to the ministry of your church that you've given to us I pray, Lord, now as we begin to study this 24th chapter, I pray that, again, it wouldn't be just the, the passing of information, but you would speak and that you would, you would lead us and you would direct us, each of us, not, not the others in the room, but each of us as individuals, that this will be personal, that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, I pray if there's one in this room, maybe many in this room, maybe some listening in other ways this morning, that do not know you, I pray in the hearing of a risen Savior, in the hearing of the forgiveness of sin, of hope in Jesus, that this very hour, this urgent hour, will be the hour of their salvation. Lord, remove any hindrances, and I pray that for your glory, that that would be the fruit of this hour. Lord, we come and we just tell you, we do love you, we do praise you, we worship you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to start this morning by reading the entire 24th chapter. I want you to not just hear the words, but I want you to to try and see the account, the story as it unfolds. I want you to try to just take in the words and to picture the events that are taking place. Now, remember before the episode that I'm going to read about in chapter 24, remember Paul has gone to Jerusalem for the Passover. He's gone there for the Passover. Once there, he goes to worship. But once there, a a mob of Jews start to riot. They accuse him falsely. And as part of that, he is taken into Roman custody, really to protect him from the mob. It says, in danger of being torn to pieces, that he is taken into custody. Well, as part of that event, he gives his defense to the Jews. He asks the Roman leaders Can I speak to the Jews? They give him permission, and he gives his defense to the Jews. Instead of calming them, they are actually incited to even more violence. At that point, Lysias, the Roman commander, delivers Paul from Jerusalem to the city of Caesarea to Felix, the Roman governor of Judea. And so he sends him from Jerusalem to Caesarea, there to the Roman governor, and he's going to have a a trial, a hearing before the Roman governor. The trial will start once his Jewish accusers arrive there in the city to make their case. And that brings us to where we're at today, starting in chapter 24. Let me work us through this chapter. Starting in verse 1, Acts chapter 24, verse 1. After five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders with an attorney named Tertullus and they brought charges to the governor against Paul listen to that very soon very quickly after 5 days the high priest of the Jews Ananias, came down with some elders and with an attorney named tertullus and they brought charges to the governor against Paul tertullus was probably a roman for sure he was an expert in the roman law and the Jews have secured him in order to make their case. They're not going to make the case. They secure this lawyer to make the case for them, starting in verse 2. After Paul had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying to the governor, since we have through you attained much peace, and since by your providence reforms are being carried out for this nation, We acknowledge this in every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with all thankfulness. Verse 4 But that I may not weary you any further, I beg you to grant us by your kindness a brief hearing. Now, I want you to to understand these first verses, verses 2 to verse 4, really are all baloney, they're all pretense. In reality, Felix was a terrible leader, he was a terrible ruler. He was known for his violence. He was known for his unfairness, and he was hated by the Jews. They hated this Roman ruler. In two years, he's going to be removed from his job by Nero, the emperor, for his violence against the Jews. They do not like him. This is all pretense. All right, next, the charges are made against Paul, beginning in verse 5. For we have found this man a real pest and a fellow who stirs up dissension among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And he even tried to desecrate the temple and then we arrested him. We wanted to judge him according to our own law. But Lysias, the commander, came along and with much violence took him out of our hands according to his accusers to come before you. By examining him yourself concerning all these matters, you'll be able to ascertain the things of which we accuse him. Verse 9, the Jews also joined in the attack, asserting that these things were sold. The lawyer begins to make the case against Paul. The charges made against him are threefold. Now, here are the charges. The first one is this. He is a pest causing dissension among all the Jews. It even says worldwide. His his charge is he is a troublemaker and he stirs up the Jews wherever he goes. That's the first accusation. The second accusation, he is a leader of a religious sect called the Nazarenes. By this time, the Nazarenes was another name for Christians. It was another name for the way or those that had followed Jesus Christ. Jesus the Nazarene, those that followed him were called Nazarenes. The Romans were always leery of a threatening religious sect rising up. Maybe they would want to overthrow Rome. Maybe they would be violent in their cause. And so they were always leery of a religious sect that would rise up. Well, they say Paul is a ringleader of this sect of the Nazarenes. That's the second charge. The third charge is this He tried to desecrate the temple. Now, that's an interesting word that may be hard for us to understand. They say he tried to desecrate the temple. The word actually translates, it means to profane or to pollute. And so their charge is he came to the temple trying to cause a ruckus, and he was there to pollute. Their sacred temple. Those are their charges. Then in verse 9, the Jews that came with the delegation, they agree with the charges. They give their confirmation agreeing with the charges. All right, Paul's response starts in verse 10. When the governor had nodded for him to speak, Paul responded. Knowing that for many years you have been a judge to this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. Now I want you to see how he starts. He doesn't start with any pretense. He doesn't start saying things that aren't true. He had been a judge there in the nation for for five or eight years. And so he says, knowing that for many years you've been a judge to this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. The word cheerfully Means gladly, but it more profoundly means this having good courage. It means this, he has nothing to hide, and so he is confident in his response. He has nothing to hide, and so there is, there is no hesitation in his response. I gladly, I boldly make my response. Verse 11. Since you can take note, you can see of the fact that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship, neither in the temple nor in the synagogues nor in the city itself did they find me carrying on a discussion with anyone or causing a riot. There wasn't a a riot, there wasn't even a discussion going on. Verse 13, nor can they prove to you the charges of which they now accuse Now, Paul says very boldly, there's no proof because there's no validity to the charges. There's no proof because these things absolutely did not happen. Verse 14, but this I admit to you that according to the way which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers. Listen, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. Now, I want you to listen to verse 14 again. Listen to every word very carefully. But this I admit to you, that according to the way which they call sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets." Paul doesn't deny his belonging to the way, to the sect of the Nazarenes. He doesn't deny being a leader of it. In fact, he says that's how he serves the living God. And so as far as as the Christian sect, those that follow Jesus, he doesn't deny being a follower. In fact, he says he is a leader of it. That's how he serves the living God. Now I want you to see this. His testimony is this. Listen to the words. He believes he believes it is a Greek word that means to have faith in or to trust when we believe in Jesus we are saved what does that mean to have faith in or to trust he says he believes everything that is in accordance that is according to the law and what is written in the prophets listen to that again He believes everything that is in accordance with the law and what is written in the prophets. Now understand this morning, that is talking about the word of God. From Genesis on, God has foretold of the need of a Savior. From Genesis on, God has foretold of his gracious provision of that Savior. From Genesis on, God has foretold of salvation alone by faith in that Savior. Folks, be very certain today, listen to this. Our gospel is not just any gospel. We live in a day when somebody says, well, that sounds valid and that sounds okay and that's your truth and I'm glad you have it. Our gospel is not just any gospel, but it is the gospel that is presented and proclaimed in the word of God. And Paul says here unashamedly, it is that gospel that I believe. I believe all according to the word of God. Now, let me take a side note here. Church, be be sure of this. Listen to me. Today, the day we're living in, the culture that we're living in, we had better be sure of, we had better be certain of And we had better be proclaiming alone the gospel as presented in the word of God. Today we're living in a day when many want to adapt that. They they, they want to adjust that. Churches are doing that. Even entire denominations are trying to adjust what God has said his word. In fact, many want to abandon that. But be very sure today, our gospel is the good news of Jesus as proclaimed in the word of God. It is a very specific gospel. It is a very clear gospel. It's not just any gospel, any deviation of the gospel. It is the good news of Jesus as presented and proclaimed in his word. All right, verse 15. Having a hope in God, which these men cherish themselves, that there certainly shall be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Verse 16. In view of this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience, both before God and before men. In verse 16, Paul, and I think it's interesting, as he is being examined, says he believes the gospel, and in verse 16, he says he lives according to what he believes. Now, I think that's interesting. As he is being looked at, as he's being tested, as he is being examined, he said, I unashamedly believe the gospel, but I also live according to what I believe. The gospel saves us. The gospel also changes us. And as we embrace it, it changes our hearts. It changes our minds. Therefore, it changes our desires. Therefore, it changes our actions. And that's what Paul says here. I live according to what I believe. It's not just an empty profession of words. I live according to the gospel. Paul says that's his reality. Back to verse 17. Now after seven years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings in which they found me occupied in the temple, having been purified without any crowd or uproar. But there were some Jews from Asia who ought to have been present before you and to make accusation if they should have anything against me, or else let these men themselves tell you what misdeed they found when I stood before the council." In his defense, Paul says, I wasn't profaning the temple. I wasn't disturbing the temple. I wasn't causing an uproar. He says, when they found me, I was worshiping in the temple. Then he points out something very important here. He points out his accusers, the one that that made the, the, the accusations, the ones that started the riot there in the temple, he says, they're not even here. Those that were here, that were witness to it, those that made the accusation, they're not even here. Roman law becomes part of our our system today. Roman law was big on the accuser and the defendant meeting face to face. That was big in their system. You're not just going to lobby some kind of accusation. You're not just going to heave up some accusation and disappear somewhere. But if you're going to accuse somebody, that person is going to have the opportunity to meet you face to face. That's that's coming to our system today as well. You get to face your accuser. He says they're not even here. Verse 21. Other than for this one statement which I shouted while standing among them. For the resurrection of the dead, I am on trial before you today. Paul says again, now he said this same thing if you remember before the Jews. He says the real issue here is the resurrection of Jesus. He says that's the real issue, it's the resurrection of Jesus. He shouted at the end, what I'm on trial for is the resurrection of Jesus. Now the rest of the section is Felix's response. Here's what's happened. Here's how we've gotten to the place that we're at. And now here is Felix's response. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen very carefully to what Felix says. Starting in verse 22 down to verse 27, I want you to listen to Felix's response. It says this, But Felix, having a more exact knowledge about the way, Put them off, saying, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion for him to be kept in custody, and yet have some freedom, and not to prevent any of his friends from ministering to him. He's going to put the whole thing off. He's going to delay the matter. He says, keep him in detention, but give him some freedom. Let his friends come and minister to him. Verse 24. But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife who was a Jewess, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. But as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. At the same time, too, he was hoping that money would be given him by Paul. Therefore, he also used to send for him quite often and converse with him. But after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus and wishing to the do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul imprisoned. All right, in our study of, of Acts, we are seeing the history of the formation of the church. That's the overarching thing that we're seeing in our study in Acts. In this section of our study, we are looking at the ministry of Paul. Really, from chapter 12 on, by chapter 15 for sure on, it is detailing to us the ministry of Paul. Well, in the midst of those two things, we're going to see, we're going to look closely at the man that is Felix, the governor of Judea. And so, we're looking at the ministry of Paul, we're reading the history of the formation of the church, and under those two umbrellas, we're going to see today the story of this man, Felix, the governor of Judea. Now, I want to tell you, I believe there's much to see here today. I believe there's much to learn here in his story, his account. And so, we're going to look at six parts of his life in just these verses We're going to look at six pieces, six parts of the life of Felix, the governor of Judea. All right, here we go. The first thing we see in Felix is this. Felix was familiar with Christ. Felix was familiar with Christ. Notice verse 22, the start of it. But Felix, having a more exact knowledge about the way... What that means is Felix had some knowledge of Christianity. These Jews are are making their case, and he knew better because he had some knowledge of Christianity. Now, probably that was from his wife. Probably it was from her curiosity. Maybe it was from his other dealings with people in Judea, but he had a knowledge of Christ. Be sure A knowledge of Christ doesn't save you. A knowledge of Christ doesn't save you. I'm afraid today there's a good number of people that are placing their hope in some basic knowledge of Christ. And if you were to ask them, they would say, oh, yes, I know about Jesus. Oh, yes, I've heard of salvation through Jesus. Yes, I've been to the church. Yes, I've even sung the songs. And they're placing their hope in a broad, distant knowledge of Christ. Felix had a knowledge of Christ. That's the first thing we see. Second thing we see is this. Felix heard the gospel. Felix heard the gospel. Let me go to verse 24. But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess. And sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. I think it's interesting in the original language, the article the is there. He heard him speak about the faith in Christ Jesus. Felix, here's what that means. Felix, this governor, heard the good news of Jesus. He heard the entirety of the good news of Jesus. He heard of his need for a Savior. He heard of God's Savior provided in great love and grace, Jesus. He heard of his death, burial, and his resurrection. That's what Paul was a preacher of. He heard about his death for sinners, his burial, having paid the cost for sin, his resurrection victorious. He heard that by faith in him, by belief in him, by trusting him, that he himself could be saved. Any person trusting in Jesus would be saved. Paul told him the specifics of the faith of Christianity. He heard the good news. Now, I was thinking about that. Wow, listen to that. Paul told him the gospel. Paul, listen, the apostle Paul Preach the gospel to Felix. It wasn't second hand, third hand, fourth hand. It wasn't somebody trying to present the gospel. Paul presents the gospel to him. God loves you, Felix. Jesus died for you, Felix. He's paid for your sin. He will forgive you, Felix. Trust him, Felix. Paul preaches the gospel to him. Why wouldn't you grab that? Why wouldn't you rejoice and receive that? I I, I read that and I think, man, Paul is laying it out and it's clear there is a God that loves you and in his grace he sent a remedy for your sin in his son Jesus, he's defeated death, he's paid for sin. If you will believe in him, you'll be saved. How would you not rejoice and gladly receive that? The next three things we're going to see in the life of Felix are going to explain that. Today, why don't people turn to Jesus? How do they not? How can they not turn to Jesus? Listen, hearing the good news of Jesus, how do they not drop everything and run to Jesus? How do people not turn to Jesus? Here's what we see next. Third, Felix loved his sin. Felix loved his sin. Why don't people turn to Jesus? Same reason. I want you to watch this, verse 25. But as he was discussing righteousness, self control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, Go away. For the present, and I will find, when I find time, I will summon you. But as he was discussing righteousness, self control, and the judgment to come. Now, when we read those three things, talking about righteousness, self control, and judgment, it may appear to be some kind of work that you have to do, some, some kind of system that this is what you do to be saved. It's not that. I want you to listen. This is really an explanation of the gospel. As Paul talked about these three things, righteousness, self-control, and judgment, he became afraid. The Bible says he became frightened and he turned away. Now, what happened? Let me show you this. Paul explains righteousness. What does that mean? It means Paul is explaining God is righteous. God is perfect. God is holy. To have fellowship with him, we must be righteous, we must be perfect. We must be blameless. And it's the only way to be right with God is to be blameless before God. And so he talks about righteousness, the righteousness of God. Then he talks about self control. The truth is this if we're going to be righteous, we must not sin. We cannot sin, not even one sin, for sure, not a multitude of sins. We have to control ourselves and we have to live in perfect righteousness. The wages of no self control, the wages of failing of this is called sin, and the wages are death is death. And so then he talks about the judgment to come, appointed for man once to die, and then his judgment. And those in their sin, those that have sinned, are separated from God for eternity, and all have sinned. Not one person has not sinned. And so explaining the gospel of Jesus Christ, he talks about righteousness, the righteousness of God. He talks about self-control that we can never have sinned. He talks about the judgment that is coming for sinners. And Felix is gripped in fear, and he shuts out the gospel message. Let me tell you something here. Felix knew his sin. Felix knew his wicked heart. Felix knew that he stole his wife Drusilla from another king. It wasn't even his own wife. He knew his sin. He knew, he realized it. He He was profoundly aware of his sin, but he wasn't ready to address his sin. He wasn't ready to leave his sin. So instead, he leaves the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you the same thing happens today. People love their sin. They're they're comfortable in their sin, and they're not going to leave their sin. They're not ready for that, so they leave the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wonder how many people hear the gospel. I wonder how many people hear of God's love and his grace extended to sinners, but they love their sin more. That's Felix's problem. It brings us to the next point about Felix. Number four is this. Felix thought he was in control. Felix thought he was in control. See the end of verse 25. But as he was discussing righteousness and self-control of the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, watch this, go away for the present and when I find time, I will summon you. When I find, Philip says, when I find time, I will summon you. Hearing of God's grace, hearing of God's love, he says, you know what, it's gonna be on my time. He says, you know what, it's gonna be on my terms. And he says, Paul, when I'm ready for that, I will send for you. When I'm ready, I'll call for you. I wanna tell you, I wonder, and I think the number would be staggering, I wonder how many people have expired waiting on their time. I wonder how many people have been shocked as the unexpected sands of their hourglass have dropped out for them instantly in death. Time was no more. And I wonder how many of them cried out, Oh, no! Oh, no, dear Lord, I was going to. I was familiar with the gospel. I was planning to. Tomorrow was the day. My intentions were there, oh, Lord. And in death, time ran out. It is the point of a man once to die and then his judgment. Paul had earlier written, 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Behold, it means see. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. There's no time to tarry. The gospel demands an urgent response. Felix thought he was in control. Oh, dear friends outside of Jesus, turn to him today. Be urgent in your response today. If you've never trusted Jesus, turn to him today. Fifth thing we see Felix was driven by worldly motivations. Felix was driven by worldly motivations. Look at verse 26. At the same time, too, he was hoping that money would be given him by Paul. Therefore, he also used to sin for him quite often and converse with him. The Bible tells us for two years he sent for Paul. For two years, he talked to Paul, hoping that he would pay him in order to be free. He was hoping surely his friends, they can come and go. Surely his friends would bring some money. They would round up some money. And surely they would offer him a bribe. Surely in one of these meetings, Paul would unfold a napkin and there would be some gold in it and he would be freed. And hearing the gospel Even hearing the gospel, his motivations were consumed in worldly things. I wonder how many people have been distracted by the world, and so they're not looking for a Savior. And they're looking for a lot of things in the world. They're looking for a lot of things in their life. They're looking for wealth, and they're looking for success, and they're looking for reputation. And even hearing the gospel, there's no appeal there for them. They're not drawn to them, them. that's not their desire, that's not their hope, it is in something else, and so distracted by the things of the world, they overlook the good news of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine this? Felix, there in his grand court, is talking to the man that led by God would write the words... But God demonstrates his own love toward us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Felix, God loves you. Felix, Jesus died for you. He'll forgive all of your sin. He wants to have fellowship with you. And Felix waits for a bribe, a measly bribe. He overlooks the gospel. That brings us to the last point. As we survey the life of Governor Felix, this last piece apathetically, he was familiar with Jesus. Graciously, he hears the gospel. Dumbly, he loves his own sin. Proudly, he thought he was in control. Greedily, he is motivated and driven by the world. And the sixth thing is this. And he missed Jesus. He missed Jesus. Felix missed it. Verse 27. But after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. There is no record of the governor Felix passed here. Sadly, there is no record of his ever turning to Christ. Secular historians say that he died of tuberculosis. His possessions and his pursuits were of no value of him as he died gasping for air in his sickened lungs. As far as we know, Jesus, the gracious Savior, the love of Paul, had rung in his ears, had passed across his mind, was frequently in his hearing, but was never received in his heart. And Felix, beloved of God, missed Jesus. In my dad's little Bible, the words written to stir urgency in the steps of a farmer, lost and did not know it, died and did not expect it, in hell and cannot change it. Friends, our gospel is urgent. Our gospel is urgent. No matter is as pressing as is the gospel message. Listen, if you've never trusted Jesus, if you're saying, you know what, I, I love my sin too much, I'd have to change too much, it, it wrecked my reputation too much, I'm not ready for that. Listen, the message is urgent. God's grace is offered to you today. Today is the day of salvation. If you've never trusted Jesus, turn to Him today. You're not promised tomorrow, you're not promised this afternoon. Trust Jesus today. Trust him now. He'll save you this moment. Turn to Jesus. I want to tell you, for those of us that have trusted Jesus, this message is urgent. That's why we must be. Those outside of Christ, those in your family, those in your neighborhood, those that have been your friends, those outside of Jesus that haven't trusted him, it'll be too late for them. They'll miss the gospel, and they will miss Jesus we must be urgent, the urgent good news. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come. We praise you for your grace. Oh, Lord, we praise you for your patience. Desiring that not one, that not any shall perish. Oh, we praise you. We praise you that you're long-suffering. We we praise you for your your love shown to us as sinners. We're thankful for your compassion and your mercy that if we will be repentant and turn to you, that you'll save us. But there's never been a person that's repented and turned to you that you haven't saved. Now, we have that promise. And so, Lord, I pray for some to be urgent in this room. I pray for some to be urgent as they listen in some other way. I pray, Lord, they would turn to you and they would would admit their sin. They would repent and ask for your power to leave it. They would turn to you in faith, receiving you as their Savior today. Lord, help them. Lord, remove any hindrance to that. Be glorified in the fruit of that. Lord, I pray for those that are believers here. I pray that we couldn't leave here with the same priority set, with the same speed, but that we would be urgent proclaimers of the good news of Jesus. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We stand and we marvel at your grace and the goodness of your gospel. We hold it high. And we pray for fruit, for results. We give this time of invitation to you. We pray that you're pleased and you're honored in every bit of it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with a time of response, a time of invitation. And I want to tell you, it truly is the most important thing we'll do today. We're going to preach and uphold the word of God, but the word of God calls for a decision. We find today that it's an urgent decision that it calls for. If you've never trusted Jesus today as your Savior, turn to him today. If you're not sure and you say, oh, I, I, I don't know, I, I think I've done something in the past, I'm not sure. Listen, don't leave here with that. It's settled. Settle it today. Be sure and certain. Settle it today. Turn to Jesus today. He'll forgive you today. He'll save you today. If you're here and you've... Follow Christ, but you never followed in Believers, baptism. What a great testimony, especially in these days, to say, this is what I believe of Jesus. This is who I am in and through Jesus. And you come, not as part of your salvation, but as a testimony to your salvation. We'll set a day to be a great day of celebration. You come as well. Maybe you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it. You believe God has led you here. You come as well. And together, we'll preach his word. We'll deliver his good news until he comes again for his glory. Maybe you're here today and you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. We're in no hurry to be anywhere. God hears the smallest thing, the greatest thing. He's powerful over all of them. So maybe you want to come and spend this time in prayer. I'm going to ask that no one would stir about, no one would head for an exit, but you would pray for those that are making decisions. As we stand to sing, if God is speaking to you, if you have a decision to make, if you need more information, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here. As we stand to sing, You come on, I'll meet you here.